we're still practicing. My grandchildren really enjoy it when we tell them stories. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's a story they heard before or not. They uh, they really like it, um, and they certainly enjoy made-up ones. In fact, they will sometimes ask uh, us to, you know, make up a story uh, to tell them. Uh, Jenny's much better at it than I am. Um, most of my stories have the same ending, and you can ask my grandchildren what it is. What what is it? And they sat on that hat. That's right. Somebody sat on the hat. It's a, you know it's a long story, but anyway, no matter what how long my stories get, that's usually what it ends up with. Somebody sat on on their hat, but they still enjoy it. Um, they also enjoy hearing true stories, things that actually went on this past Tuesday. Uh, Jenny and I were were driving home, and um, Ryan called. Well, Marcy called because Ryan had a question. Ryan wanted to hear the story about when Grandma crashed my car into the tree. Um, many of you have heard that story already. It was something that happened uh, before we were married, and uh, you know so that's how it was that she crashed my car instead of our car. At that point, it was just my car. We had only had one date. Um, I'm not going to go into it. You guys had heard it before. Um, you know, it's easier it's easier to tell them about things that have already happened. You know, things that have that have gone by, and it's easier to tell them what it has happened as opposed to what's going to happen. Now, we can only tell them very little about what's going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if they don't do their homework, we can tell them what's going to happen if they decide they're going to, um, you know, jump off of the off of the deck, and uh, we can tell them what certainly may happen. Uh, we can tell them things like that, but we can't exactly tell them what's going to happen. Well, um, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, there are, there are some things about the future I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You know, some people say, wouldn't it be great to know the future? Mm, yeah, well, only some of it. Uh, some of it, it wouldn't be so great. There are some things I definitely don't want to know because what they would do is they would distract me so much, they would they would overwhelm me so much that I would miss the joy of the day. I would miss the joy of today because I would be worried about you know this thing that I knew was coming that I didn't want to happen. And so it would rob me, you know, it would begin to consume me and it would rob me of some of the joy that's in the day, but also there could be a little advantage to knowing maybe some generalities so that um, we can prepare. We do know some generalities. God has given them to us. He has told us some of what's coming. He has told us that in this world we will have opposition. In this world we will be, you know, we will have those who are against us. And he tells us, be of, well, King James, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this world you will face persecution. So we shouldn't be totally surprised by those because he says they're going to be there. And in that regard we can prepare. And we can know that when those things do come along, it doesn't mean that God is against us. Just because something bad, well, what we consider bad, and actually some of it is bad, because some bad things happen doesn't mean that God is against us. We know that. And we know that because he's told us in his word that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to know that persecution, trouble is coming. We need to know that they opposed him and they certainly will oppose us. 
so we don't have to be surprised. Well, in our walk through Genesis, we're at a place uh, where Jacob, Israel, uh, this is that transition where we see Israel going from a person uh, to a nation. Uh, Jacob was given the name Israel, and, you know, we know Israel. When we think of it, we think of a nation. Here, the, the, the part of Genesis we're in now is really where that transition is happening from an individual into into a nation. We're here, uh, so Jacob gives his sons, tells them a little bit about what will happen, just a little bit about what did happen. Uh, and we're going to look at that. Let's pray, and we're going to get into that passage. Father, thank you for your word to us that does indeed give us some warning. Now, there's some specifics certainly we don't know, and really I'm very grateful I don't um, know some of those because, man, they would really mess me up. Uh, but I do thank you that you have told us uh, enough. You've told us what we need to know. If we needed to know more, you'd tell us more. I have every confidence in that because you are that kind of a God, a loving God. You, you don't wish to destroy us or shake us uh, shake us in such a way that we are distracted from you, uh, but you want to build us and strengthen us and help us to be more and more yours. So guide us toward that as we look into your word today. Uh, make it make it something that's um, applicable to our lives. You again know the challenges of everybody here. I don't. You do. Uh, so touch those um, challenges. Help us. Encourage us. Refine us more. Boy, we don't like that process sometimes. Uh, but Lord, we know it's necessary. So use this time for your glory, for your honor, the transformation of our hearts, our souls, our minds to you again, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis 49, so turn there if you um, have your Bible or on your phone or whatever it is you're using. Uh, there's one more chapter after this. There's 50 chapters in Genesis, and uh, we're going to um, we're going to get into that next week. Is my plan get into the 50th chapter? I don't know yet if we'll finish it or not, but uh, we are going to finish Genesis. And after Genesis, I was thinking uh, at this point, I, I believe we're going to spend some time in Second Chronicles chapter seven. I believe that it uh, would benefit us as a people to to hear that, to look at that, and to study that a little bit. After we're done with Second Chronicles 7, I, I think we're going to go into First John, uh, the epistle of First John, a great, um, clear book, I think one that we certainly need for today. But anyway, uh, here in Genesis 49, uh, Jacob is telling his family uh, what's coming. Um, sometimes even knowing what's coming, we can still be a bit surprised. Uh, think about it, you know, the doctor or nurse always gives you a warning, you know, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you this shot now. Um, you know, otherwise your reaction might not be helpful. Um, you know, and they even say, well, here it comes. I, I went in when, when I ran my finger into, uh, that running saw blade a, a few, a couple of years, whenever it was. Um, and I went into the emergency room. Um, they told they gave me a, a nerve block and they they shot it in between you know on both sides of that finger and now the guy told me it was coming and um he had my attention i mean that man had my attention i mean i did all i could to, to, to hold still you know and he says you're moving dude you see what you're doing to my hand you know um i got i had tore a ligament in my elbow one time and uh and I went in to get a cortisone shot, and that was the first time I ever got a cortisone shot. I thought, yeah, no big deal. Uh, 
Um, until the guy, he said, you know, he was going to give me this cortisone shot, and he went out, the doctor went out, and uh, he came back in with two other people, which he had stand on either side of me. And I thought, okay. He threw a pillow in my lap, put my arm on it, and he starts swabbing us with iodine. And I thought, dude, I thought you were giving me a shot, you know. And then he explains to me that uh, he said, tomorrow you're going to think I'm an idiot. And uh, he said, it's, it's, just trust me on this. He said, it's going to hurt more tomorrow, but it'll get better. So he grabs my elbow and he starts squeezing. Well, I went, oh, then he goes, jam, and he jams that needle right in there. I came up out of that seat. Now I know I had those two guys around the other side of me. You know, to, uh, Even when we know it's coming sometimes... Even when we know it's coming, you know, it, it could be, it could be painful. It could be, it could, you know, it could, it could still be a bit of a surprise, you know. And I, I knew those things were coming, but they were still painful to go through. Here in Genesis 49, uh, Jacob's words are a revelation to his son. Um, some, it's, it's an insight into their character, you know, as, as well as telling them divine revelation of their future, future of their descendants, really. He is telling them, you know, what's going to happen to the tribes that are called by their name, uh, you know, the, those descendants that, that come after them. Uh, some of what he tells them is painful for them to hear. It's, and it's going to be painful for them to live through, but it would help them know what's coming. Uh, Jacob's assurance here of the divine plan. It was an encouragement they were going to need. They're going into captivity after this, and they're going to need that, that encouragement, just as we know, you know, because when we read Scripture that God is for us and not against us, that tribulation will come. And when so when we're in the midst of it, we know because he's warned us, here's some of that warning, and they were going to need that. Now, these first 15 verses address the sons born to Jacob by Leah. Uh, and so follow along. Verse 1 says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around, and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Uh, come together and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, and the first fruits of my virility. Excelling in prominence, excelling in power, turbulent as water. You will no longer excel because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. You got into my bed. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter their council. May I never join their assembly. For in their anger they kill men, and on a whim they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed, for it is strong, and their fury, for it is cruel. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the people belongs to him. He ties his donkey to a vine and the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robe in, robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and he will be a harbor for ships and his territory will be next to Sidon. 
Issachar, a strong donkey lying down between saddlebags, he saw that his resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he leaned his shoulder to bear the load and became a forced laborer. Now we're going to pause there and, and, and look at these just for a minute here. Jake, he's addressing, you know, Jacob is addressing what will happen to them as tribes, as groups of people, those descendant from his sons, and he's telling them, you know, what the, the descendants of these 12 sons will be facing. Now the first three start out kind of rough, really. It's not, not, <laughs> not very encouraging. Uh, you know, as you look at those, Reuben is told that as the firstborn son, he should excel. He should be excelling in power and prominence. That was the position of the firstborn son. The firstborn son would get the the, the double uh, inheritance. The firstborn son was the one who was to take charge of the family, who the one who was to lead them, the one who was to guide them. And he is telling them, you know, this is what should be happening. What, and he tells him in reality he would receive neither of those. He said, really, you're not going to receive either one of those. The change already started. We read about it back in chapter 46. In chapter 46, Jacob uh, sends Judah ahead to prepare for their arrival in Egypt. It should have been Reuben who he sent as the firstborn son, but that isn't who he sent. Uh, you know, what Jacob refers to here uh, when he says you know, that you got into my bed, he's, it's, he's telling him, you know, it's the consequences of Reuben's earlier unrepentant sin. That is that it's that earlier unrepentant sin now that is, that he's suffering the consequences of. Uh, Reuben violated Jacob's trust by sinning. He sinned against Reuben sinned against Jacob, and he sinned against Jacob's concubine. Now, uh, Jacob had gone away on an extended trip, and in chapter thirty-five, uh, while Jacob was gone, here's what it says: it "says While Israel was living in that region where he was away from the family." Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. And see, what Reuben's doing here is Reuben is stepping up uh, to take a place as leader of the family by sleeping with the leader's concubines. Now we say, what in the world? This is one of the things they did to show that they were the one now in charge. They were the one who now had this position of leadership and that they were in charge. What he was doing is he was trying to force what he later would have been given. Later he would have been given this position as the leader of the family, and he was trying to force it here. His father was still alive. You know, his father, it, it, it would have been something that would have been his after his father passed. Now his father's still alive, and he's trying to force it here. You know, don't, don't try to force your solutions. Don't try to force your timetable ahead of what God is doing. We can get impatient, and you know, impatience just does not work for you. It works against you. Don't try to don't try to force your own timetable ahead of what God is doing. I have learned sometimes the hard way. God's timing is best. And sometimes I've gotten to that point, and I just think of how much time I wasted trying to make this happen. And then here God was, you know. God, God already had it together. I mean, I knew that and I would have told you that, but sometimes we just get a little carried away. Well, God wasn't through with the transforming of Jacob, which is really kind of what we're witnessing through, uh, you know, through these chapters that we've been going through. Uh, Reuben was trying to grab the position as head of the family and God wasn't done. God wasn't ready. It wasn't God's time yet. Reuben broke so many norms here. He clearly wasn't thinking with his head. Uh, he sinned against God, you know, because all sin is against God. We need to realize that. All sin is against God. 
you do sin against people, but even when you're sinning against people, you are, you are sinning against God because all sin is against God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think, don't ever think that, you know, that it's, that, that it's not toward God. It is, all of your sin is against God. We have no indication, there's no indication in scripture, you know, from that, that time of sin back in chapter 35 all the way through, there's no indication at all that Reuben ever repented. And as you follow Reuben's line, really no noticeable leaders came from, you know, came from his, came from the line of Reuben. Um, they had a couple of leaders that stepped up. They didn't do so well. And they actually, Reuben's, Reuben's line actually declined in number, uh, during, after the, the, the time of the wilderness, the wilderness, the wandering in the wilderness. Uh, during that time, from the Exodus till they hit the Promised Land, uh, the, the Reuben's numbers actually decreased. Next, we have Jacob here. Or, excuse me. Next, Jacob addresses Simeon and Levi together. Um, what he is doing when he's talking about their knives and and uh, hamstring oxen and things they did, he's referring to the time that Simeon and Levi slaughtered the men at Shechem. They did that in revenge for their sister. Their sister Diana was raped. And uh, it was a, that was a horrendous crime, uh, and, and it should have been what we would say avenged. It should have, been. but the problem here was, you see, uh, they they didn't just they just didn't deal with with uh, the one who raped him. What they did is they went in and they slaughtered the whole town. They told they told uh, you know the men. They, they they told the guy they said yeah you know you can marry you can marry Diana which is what he requested if all the men in your town get circumcised and so you know don't ask me how this guy ever talked to everybody in the town getting circumcised uh, but he did and so it says you know third day when they were at the height of being sore um, then uh, you know uh, Simeon and Levi come in and they slaughter they slaughter the whole the whole town. You know, um, we want to lash out. We do. We want to lash out. We want to get revenge. uh, But that's not our place. That's not our place. What we do when we approach it, you see, we want justice served, but we want our idea of justice. We don't want God's plan. We want our idea of justice. But we we only want that on what others do. Isn't that true? We only want justice on what other people do. For ourselves, we want mercy. We want mercy, but we want justice on, on them. And we want, you know, we want it remedied by our standards. It's our standards that we're looking for when we begin to, when we begin to respond, you know, with anger and from anger. And, and, you know, and that's what we lift up. And we want it done in our time frame. We want it to happen now. It can't happen soon enough in our minds. I read in the paper, or see on the news, these people, and they wait all these years. You know, they're, they're, someone in their family, their loved one is killed, and, and it's years sometimes before it even goes to trial. And I, I just think of what heartache while they're waiting. You know, and they always seem to interview the family afterwards. Well, you know, do you think justice was served? And, and I just think all the heartache that they, you know, that they went through in it. Because we do. We, you know, we want our idea of justice. And it's by our standards and our time. Do you see the problem here? Do you see the problem with this? What we want, we want God to act and to move to respond as we think things should go. 
We want him to do it according to what we think he should do. What we're doing is we are usurping God's place. We are saying, God, let us tell you, let us direct you how to do this. And that, that is never going to work. Simeon and Levi, you know, they're led by their anger. It talks about hamstringing oxen. It, I mean, it, it's just showing the wanton disregard for any life that they had as they were going through this whole process. They were following their anger instead of God. Never follow your anger. Follow God. Don't follow your anger. Your anger is not going to take you to a good place. You know, follow God and what he has to say. Let him define and apply justice and mercy. You know, let him set the standards. You know, don't rush ahead and don't lag behind. Follow God's timetable. You know, it's from him. The tribe of Simeon eventually was absorbed into the tribe of Judah. They were just kind of taken in. Uh, Levi, Levi was scattered into to, to 48 towns throughout the promised land. They didn't have a, a, a section of land. They were scattered. Well, the tone changes there, and, and Jacob begins to address Judah. Uh, Judah was the one who suggested uh, selling Joseph as a slave in chapter 37 as Joseph is coming and approaching and they throw him in the well it says then judah said to his brothers what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood come let's sell him to the ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him uh, for he is our brother our own flesh and they agreed really selling your brother into slavery i mean really this you see is a good solution there's so many things wrong with this thinking here so many things wrong but later Later, as they were, as they were dealing with, years later, as they were dealing with Egypt and going back before they realized that that was Joseph there, uh, Judah, you know, steps up really and he kind of admits his sin there, you know, against their brother Joseph. He said, you know, didn't I tell you, this is, this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. Didn't I tell you we shouldn't have done this, you know? And you see a bit of repentance and confession there. And then Judah also stepped up. If you recall, after they went, after the uh, ten sons went to get uh, food the one time, and one was kept back, and they they returned, and they were told that they weren't going to get any more food unless they brought their brother Benjamin, the youngest brother, with them. And they didn't realize again yet. At that point, they were talking to Joseph, and Reuben steps up and he takes responsibility as they're going to bring him into Egypt. He says, "You know." Then Judah said to his father, uh, Israel, "Send the boy with me." We will be on our way so that we may live and not die. Uh, neither we, nor you, nor our children. I will be responsible uh, for him. You can hold me personally accountable if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will be guilty before you forever. You see, he stepped up. He was, instead of now selling out his brother, he is taking responsibility uh, for his other brother. Uh, Judah also sinned against his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Um, this was uh, with that loverite marriage where when one son dies and the next son would get him, well, get to have the wife and raise up, raise up um, heirs. And again, because of the importance of, of the land to them, the importance of not losing possessions. 
Uh, that was the way they dealt with it. Uh, so what happened then is, um, you know, he had promised, he, they had, he, he ran out of sons and then he had one son that was too young and he said when he gets old enough, you know, you can marry him and then it came time and he didn't allow that to happen. Um, and so what happened then is he, he not only withheld that from her, then, um, Judah went out and, you know, looking for a prostitute and, you know, his daughter-in-law disguised herself as that prostitute and, um, gave, had Judah give his staff and his signet ring to, to her. And then later when she was found to be pregnant, he said, stone her. And then, uh, she brought, sent these, the staff and a signet ring to him and said, see if you know who these are. And then it says that he recognized them. And he said, she's more in the right than I am. You know, he confesses his sin. He says, I, I didn't give my son to her. Now we all sin. Romans, the Bible is pretty clear on that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, you know, but the struggle is, you know, we all sin, but we don't all confess. We don't all admit our wrong. We don't all seek forgiveness. All people sin, but all people don't seek forgiveness, and you know, and and none of us want to face the consequences. Now, when we do confess, though, God's very gracious to us. He tells us, you know, He says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful. He's, you know, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we need. What we need when we sin is we need to be able to go to Him. All sin is against God. All confession should be to God. Now, yes, you may need to, you may need to uh, also, you know, go to. In this case, you know, Judah would have had to go to Tamar and said, I, I sinned against you. In fact, it seems he did do that. You know, and, and we need to do that. But we also need to remember that we have to take this to God. And this is what he tells us, you know, First John, that confessing the sins, he, is, he's, he will cleanse us, cleanse us from, notice what it says, you know, that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just part of it, but all of it. He takes it all away. Well, Jacob here calls Judah a young lion. Jesus, it comes from the uh, line of Judah and the tribe of Judah. And, uh, you know, as the promised Messiah, um, he is called the lion of Judah in Revelation. It says, then one of the elders said to me, stop crying. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, Jacob certainly would not have known about this when he was speaking these words thousands of years before that you know he jacob wouldn't have known it but god did know it jacob didn't know it but god did know it god knows what's coming he wasn't surprised this wasn't just one of those things god knew it was coming all the way back then well then jacob uh, turns and he addresses the sons born to his concubines you know that his wife's enlisted to bear children what a messed up way um, you know, to go about things, they were having their little race to see who could, who could uh, give Jacob the sons, and um, they weren't didn't feel they were producing the kids fast enough, and uh, so what they did is they each got grabbed one of their concubines and said, Jacob, here, you know, have kids through her, you know, they'll be considered ours, and uh, it's it's a messed up thing but when i look at this you know it just reminds me that god can use all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose 
that when we come to God, when we open ourselves up to God, when we confess things to God, He uses He He uses even that sin. Now, don't ever use this as an excuse to sin, because it says, "Should we go on sinning that grace may abound?" In Romans, and He says, "God forbid, may it never be." Don't ever let that happen, He says. But it's also true that all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Even those things people meant for sin, even those sins people meant to harm you. Think about this. We have our salvation. Why? Because of the sin of killing Jesus. The Roman government and the Jews sinned by killing an innocent man. They killed an innocent man. There is no way and no law where that is right, where that is justified. But we have salvation. Because God can use even other people's sinful action for good. Verse 16, follow along. It says, Dan will judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, he will be a snake by the road, a viper beside the path that bites its horse, the horse's heels, uh, so that its riders fall backwards. You know, that's kind of a, a picture and indication of of, of um, sudden uh, sneak kind of attack. Well, it's interesting to me. Samson uh, was in the line of Dan, um, you know, and Samson. I, I think everybody in that in that. Uh, Temple were surprised when Samson, uh, you know, brought it down on top. But uh, later, Dan, Dan's um, descendants fell into idolatry. Well, uh, verse uh, 18, he says, I wait for your salvation, Lord. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. Asher's food will be rich, and he will produce royal delicacies. Uh, Naphtali is a doe set free that bears... Uh, Fruit, uh, beautiful fawns. It, it seems odd that in the midst, in the midst of this, as he's talking about them, verse 18, he says, you know, I wait for your salvation, Lord. As I was looking at that, uh, that word salvation is uh, Yeshua. And, uh, you know, it's very closely rated, uh, related to Yehoshua, which is Joshua, which, uh, uh, you know, is, is Jehovah is salvation. That's the Greek form. Uh, Joshua is is the Hebrew form of the Greek word uh, Jesus. Uh, not a prediction here, I don't think, of Jesus, you know, but it's it's quite interesting. Well, then he addresses the two sons of Rachel, verse 22. He says, jo- Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attack him, attacked him, shot at him, and were hostile toward him. Yet his bow remained steady, and his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. By the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the God of your fathers who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings from the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lie below, and blessings of the breast of the womb. The blessings of your father excel the blessings of my ancestors and the bounty of eternal hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the prince of his brothers. Benjamin is a wolf. He tears his prey. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. Well, Jacob, had, he had made it well known already that Rachel was his favorite wife. It sounds odd that you'd have a phrase like that. But again, God 
faithfully records the sins of his people. Uh, Rachel was his favorite wife. He made it clear Joseph and Benjamin were his uh, favorite sons that caused problems within the family. Uh, Joseph, again, as we saw, uh, sold into slavery. That's probably what he's talking to here about the arrows, you know, just what he had to put up with with his brothers. Didn't retaliate. Um, you know, you have the battle between Leah and Rachel for Jacob's affection, their race to give him children. We touched on that a little bit. Joseph sold into slavery. Uh, Benjamin being kept back from traveling to Egypt, really at the cost of, you know, the potential cost of the starvation of the family. You know, he, he didn't want to didn't want to send him. Uh, Jacob has the most to say about Joseph here. He uses the word uh, bless at least six times as he's talking about Joseph here. Uh, the son that he spent the least amount of time with, he had the most to say about. I thought that was just kind of interesting. Uh, Jacob's words to Benjamin really are, are pretty brief. They seem a bit terse. Uh, you know, that he tears his prey in the morning and devours his prey in the evening and divides his... It's, uh, king Saul was a Benjamite. King Saul was a rather vicious king, even against David. Uh, he was a rather vicious king. Uh, Saul, Paul, Saul of Tarsus was a Benjamite. He's the one who persecuted the church. Well, then we have the closing words of the chapter, verse 28. It says, These are the tribes of Israel, twelve in all. And this was what their father said to them. He blessed them, and he blessed each one with a suitable blessing. Then he commanded them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. The cave is in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, in the land of Canaan. This is the field Abraham purchased from Ephron the Hittite as a burial site. Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried there. Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried there. And I buried Leah there. The field and the cave in it were purchased from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished instructing his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and died. And he was gathered to his people. Jacob's final words here are about himself and really what they were to do with his body uh, after he passed, uh, but before he left his sons, you know, the words of encouragement, let them know that God wasn't finished yet. You know, God wasn't finished working in their lives, and they would they would need that. Their dependents would need that in the years to come because they fall into slavery. You know, and for hundreds of years they're slaves, and and even though they're multiplying, they're an oppressed people until uh, you know the Exodus happens, and you know a lot goes on. But between Genesis and Exodus, uh, the whole book there. Um, but the phrase, that phrase there, gathered to my people, it really expresses that whole belief uh, that they still existed even though they're gone from this earth. You know, w- w- there is that life beyond. You know, death is not the finality that it seems to us here on earth. We step into eternity uh, with that. But what we see in this chapter, what I really want us to grasp here, what we see is the end result of the mellowing of a man. You have the end result here of the mellowing of a man who began as a self-centered deceiver. Jacob began as this self-centered deceiver and he grew into a servant. He grew in his commitment to God and grew into this servant who he finished well. He didn't start out well and he had some bumps in between. But here we have a picture of, there's a good goal for all of us. You know, grow in your relationship with Christ. Grow in your relationship with Christ Jesus and finish well.
Don't wait until later. Don't wait until later. Start now. But also, don't be discouraged because you're not as far as you think you should be. Just realize what that means is you is that you still have that room to grow and so far you still have that time to grow. And God wants to, just as God transformed and mellowed this, this man Jacob here, God wants to do the same thing in our lives. Now when I say mellow, don't take that as, you know, as step back and non-committal. What he did with the mellowing is he put him, he, it was the tamping down of the man Jacob and the rising up of the man of God, Jacob. Without God, it really doesn't matter what you accomplish. Because without God, you really haven't accomplished anything. You might have a few, you know, little things here and now. He's talking to those, the only thing that Jacob was, the only thing Jacob was leaving behind that was going to make any difference were these 12 sons he was talking to. What are you pouring into those around you? What are they going to remember you as? What is your family going to remember? What do you want for your family? I hope what you want for them is a solid walk with Christ, a real relationship with him. One of the biggest things is going to see is going to have uh, is when they can see how God has mellowed you, how God has taken you from this independent person and brought you and made you into the person of God. Let that be your goal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are not finished with us yet. I thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices. I know I've messed up, Lord. And I thank you so much for your forgiveness. I also know that I am not yet all that you want me to be. I pray that you will work in each one of us here. And Father, that we will, that we'll quit asserting ourselves in our way, our ideas of the way things should be, our thoughts on what you should do. And that we will yield to you. And we know that's not just sitting back and watching, Father, but it's being transformed into the man of God that you want us to be, being transformed into the woman of God that you want us to be. Thank you, Father, that we are not left where we are. Thank you that you, that you continue to love us, you continue to work, and you continue to transform. May we yield ourselves to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.